Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2021. Episode 334, Role-Playing as Experimental Learning. How Dungeons and Dragons Assists in Teaching Management Concepts. Presented by Gabby Swab, John Harris, and Ian Mercer. This panel is part of the academic track. Apologies for some minor overlap of additional audio during portions of this panel. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good good evening, whatever time zone you're in, and welcome to our panel today. Um, so to get us started, uh, my name is Gabby Swab. I am an uh, assistant professor in management at Towson University. We also have John Harris with here here today in management as well at Georgia Southern University, and Ian Mercer is a doctoral candidate at Auburn University. We're all a little unique that even though we're management professors, I'm in entrepreneurship. John is in leadership and Ian is in human resources. So we are able to take this role-playing game focused on Dungeons and Dragons that may appear to um, not fit like it fits in with some of like the you know business curriculum that seems like it could be boring to a few select few but we're here to tell you that we are taking our gaming skills and the fun that we have in the gaming industry and using it in classrooms. So we will go ahead and kick this off. All right, so why this is so important, we're focusing on experiential learning. So whereas gaming is fun, we know that sometimes as academics, we have to have this backbone of why we do explanation for. So here we are talking um, about experiential learning. The previous slide, which has no audio attached, my audio was going out. An interdisciplinary approach um, based in management, education, and psychology. So, so my next reflection, experience-based learning. So rather than just hearing about something, you're actually doing it and oftentimes can reflect on the decisions that you made. So it gets students more involved, but not just students, it's also effective in the workforce. And so us as management professors in business, we have to train those students to get that out there in the workforce. So we're teaching them these hands-on ways um, for techniques that could potentially use in management classrooms, um, as well as teaching leadership and training in entrepreneurship. Next slide. Did you have someone else call in? All right, so experiential learning, gamification is a way that we can actually, um, you say, hey, we're experiential learning, but we're using games. Gamification, when we're talking about it in the classroom, as well as in Sometimes we do have things that are fun, Um, but it's also because we expect those teaching people to expect those tags on the bottoms of all events, and it's the same system as the convention. It's been shown um, to increase employee engagement, motivation, training, and development, and I believe we may have someone that's not muted. If you could try muting. Thanks. 
Thank you. And so it's a process of improving work processes and training and such. So great. So gamification, what we do playing, a form of experiential learning. And so now we're going to get into the actual type of game we're talking about here in our study itself. I will pass it off to John. Oh, sorry. Actually, I have one more slide. My bad. Okay. Advantages here, again, is... <laughs> I'm really sorry, guys. Again, um, as um, academics, we have to know what the advantages are. So if you're having to write a paper about it or talk to your department head or your dean on why is this gaming thing important? What are you actually teaching your students? Here are these face-to-face -face interactions, um, less filling of monotony. We're stopping those PowerPoints, those, those basic uh, ways of communicating. Um, look at and all these skills that it reinforces. Um, and we can lastly trick students into practicing communication, writing, and other skills. And now I will pass it off to John. Hey, everybody. Um, so as Gabby said, my name is John Harris. I am an assistant professor of management at the Parker College of Business at Georgia Southern University. And uh, in my free time, I really like playing role-playing games as well. And so in looking for ways to combine both my professional and personal pursuits, uh, I've been working to bring along with Gabby and Ian more of this into the classroom. So this idea of using RPGs, building on a lot of the stuff that um, Trent was actually talking about earlier, and I really do appreciate Aaron Shelley, Nick, and Trent's sort of conversation around the importance of focusing on academia and gaming and the sort of the intersection between the two and the ways that we can learn from each other, and particularly using games in our learning. Uh, that's sort of the space that we're, we're spending some time in today. Uh, and so as Gabby was saying, we are really trying to build an experiential experience. We are trying to get our students who, uh, for all three of us, are in colleges of business, which stereotypically and historically don't always have the best reputation for being able to necessarily think outside of the box and express some degrees of creativity that you might find across college campuses and uh, sort of hold perspectives other than their own sometimes. Um, but that putting them into a position where they can really experience and explore and try on different skills and personalities and identities uh, is it actually has proved really valuable for us. It ha and our students seem to be enjoying it and really connecting with uh, important course content in a way that they previously weren't. Um, we know from both anecdotally and from surveys and research that we've done that the businesses that we are trying to place our students in, both at an undergraduate and a graduate MBA level, are primarily looking for students that are skilled in what we would call the soft skills in business, that it's not a matter of uh, technical knowledge or statistical knowledge or, you know, you can run an Excel spreadsheet like crazy, but that we're looking for people who can communicate and who can lead and who can empathize and who can build a team and who can come to decisions and who can manage conflict. And these things that we've denigrated for so long uh, in, in some of the social sciences and uh, in business, in, at least in some corners of it, as, as soft or sort of supplementary, we're finding are actually the things that are really key towards success for our students upon graduation and, frankly, in their lives outside of work, too. This isn't just a lesson about what to do in your job, but really what you can do with your life. So when in the in the spirit of role playing, we've we sort of approached this uh, through the entire process. Uh, 
at a at a convention such as Metatopia, I imagine a lot of you are already familiar with the concept of role playing. That you maybe have made a character and played in a Dungeons and Dragons game at some point, or you've experienced other things. I know uh, Trent mentioned earlier Blades in the Dark, which is a fantastic system that we can really use to capture uh, some of the more nuanced elements and the more um, external elements, the pressures, uh, the timing and clocks of things that are happening around us and not just what we're doing. Um, so you've probably built a character at some point in your life, or you're always familiar with the concept. You'll be surprised at the number of your students, or at least we were in my classes, that sort of secretly said, yeah, I've, I've played Dungeons & Dragons. I really like it. I like doing this stuff. Or that are at least familiar with uh, more commercially available AAA games, video games like Skyrim and things like that, where they create a character and live out this experience playing as that person. So we start from a basis of character creation. We, we are creating new identities. We are creating fictional people. We are creating uh, selves that aren't ourself giving these students an opportunity and a time to really explore and experience something beyond the world that they know and are comfortable with. And some of these students are very willing, very uh, interested in going well outside their box and positioning themselves in an empathetic and understanding way in, in, a, in a person, in an experience that they don't normally have, having to think about the specific uh, ramifications of that. What happens when you are, when you have a different upbringing? What happens when you are uh, experiencing a different life? What happens when you have different goals and motivations? What happens when your skills are different than the ones that you currently have? Uh, because you know, oftentimes it's a business class. We use a lot of things like case studies, and those can get a little bit rote and a little bit sort of correct answer uh, uh, to the, the extent that people aren't really thinking about them. They're not thinking about them from their personal perspective. And so by shaking up that box a little bit and forcing them to think about it, not from just their personal perspective, but the perspective of someone else, we're able to kind of get a more enriching, experiential, and meaningful experience for our students. Because ultimately, these things are, I mean, interactive storytelling. It's collaborative storytelling, that we create a story together, whether it's groups of students operating as teams or in you know their own small organizations playing as their characters, or it's the relationship between a facilitator or an instructor or a game master and an individual or a group of players or students, that we are telling a story together, that they are immersed in this process. They aren't being told what happens. They're deciding what happens, and they're doing so based on uh, perspectives and realities that they perceive as a product of their character and their character's backstory and their abilities. So it's a very active process. It allows them to really engage with material that we often find uh, can be a little bit heady. It can be a little bit hard to say, for example, uh, this is what conflict looks like, and this is the, exactly what you're supposed to do. And when, when you go to work, people are going to argue. People are going to disagree. This is what organizational politics looks like. This is what um, asymmetrical information looks like. This is what group decision-making looks like. This is what um, – bullying or harassment looks like. This is what ethical choices look like. And we provide in this role-playing context a safe space for these students to not just hear about those things on a slide or read about them in a case, but really experience them, uh, not as themselves and not in a real situation, but practicing with that content before they're in a situation where they really have to face it for the first time, giving them some kind of ground to stand on. That the sort of informality, the formality of this of this process can be uh, up, up to the instructors. And so really the presentation we're going to, the, the exercise or activity we're going to present today, we've used each uh, myself in, in a leadership course, uh, several leadership courses. 
Ian in human resources courses and Gabby in entrepreneurial courses. So they're all still under the broad umbrella of management, but that ultimately we're creating different sorts of characters and using them in different, I mean, we're essentially going on different adventures in those different spaces. And so how do we get into this space of, of, you know, making it modular? And so though I imagine a number of you probably aren't in colleges of business or aren't uh, teaching in organizational behavior courses, uh, Think about ways that you can use this for your course. Think about ways that you can adapt this to the realities that your students are experiencing both in that class and beyond it and how they can use this sort of practice time in your class to become that much more enriched and well-versed in the stuff that they're doing. So ultimately, it is it is this narrative experience. It is this uh, process of generation and creation, really high-end Bloom's taxonomy kind of words, role-playing being one of those uh, top creative sorts of words in, in level six that a lot of our, frankly, administrators, a lot of our assessors, a lot of our colleagues, a lot of our students are looking for. We are creating real meaning and giving students an opportunity to engage with that because they get and because they get to play. It's not because that we've told them some sort of rote assignment to complete. We're not making them write this definition over and over again. Uh, we're not just putting a bunch of slides up on a board and asking them to copy everything down or read a book that we've assigned and we don't really do much teaching at all. We are asking them to invent and to create and to imagine and to provide a level of insight into these characters and themselves that a lot of other stuff doesn't really do. Uh, I've one of the best pieces of feedback I've received about this and similar assignments is from a student who told me a very good student uh, who told me that mine was the hardest class that she'd ever taken because it was the first class that ever forced her to think about herself because we don't give enough time to that level of reflection and personal experience maybe uh, and maybe this is a way we can do a little bit more of it so uh, just to, to build, I mean, we do stand on the shoulders of giants, particularly things like existing role-playing and reacting curriculums. There's a lot of good information out there about this stuff uh, that can be tailored maybe more specifically um, to your particular interests or uh, subject areas, especially um, in particular things like reacting to the past and its use in history and being able to sort of place yourself in a historical context and not just know it, but experience it and feel it and think about it in a way that is meaningful, not just, oh, this happened, but what did it feel like when this happened? How did people react when this happened? Why did people react this way when it happened? Uh, what were their motivations? What were their desires? What were their reactions? And not just it is, but it was a human experience. So – I'm going to uh, just to kind of summarize where we're going. I'm going to actually, uh, I mentioned it in the chat on Twitch, so I, I hope you're all interested in participating, but that we're going to walk through a little bit of this exercise. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna lead you through uh, my version of it, which is focused on leadership, because that is a concept that by and large, I think we at least have some degree of a handle on um, that I don't, I don't think anybody hears the word leadership and thinks, I don't know what that is. You at least have some nascent understanding, some personal understanding of what it means to lead or what a good leader might look like. Uh, but we also have used this in other contexts. We've used this in an entrepreneurial context, asking about what, what, what does a good entrepreneur look like? I think that might be particularly relevant in a context like Metatopia, in which we are looking at a lot of entrepreneurs. We're looking at a lot of people who are looking to put uh, ideas and products and stuff themselves out into the world and how to make that happen. Um, so what 
when we think of an entrepreneur, what are the things that go into that? What does an entrepreneur character look like? If you're building a D&D character, you might think about what does a good wizard look like or rogue or fighter or cleric? But what does it look like when you want that person to be a good human resources manager? Maybe not sort of the, the coolest topic in the world, but a very real one, a real job, an in-demand job, a job that a lot of students seem to want and a lot of organizations desperately need good versions of. So how do we prepare our students to not just think this is something I want, but it's something we can already start taking the mindset of, that we can already start experiencing? Uh, leadership even more so to the degree that it's not something that really starts when you get a title, that when you you know put your name tag on in the morning, you don't start being a leader and it doesn't stop when you take it off at night. So how do we in, it start to create and envision this lifelong leadership philosophy that students can really work to engage with and not just take to them, take with them to their jobs, but take home with them that night to their friends or their family. Uh, take to the you know college job that they're working right now, which a lot of them aren't really checked in on, but think about the ways that their behavior can impact the people around them. So again, we did this uh, in entrepreneurial leadership and human resource courses. Uh, at least we, we did a combination of online and in-person education. Uh, and with the leadership course, at least I've used this both at a graduate and undergraduate level. Uh, so so uh, I have some examples coming up, not just from my undergrad students, but actually from uh, some MBAs who have gone through this process as well. So it, it it's really a scalable modular system. I've done this in classes of 20. I've gone up into classes of 60. Theoretically, you could do it significantly larger than that if you're willing to scaffold the space well enough. Um, and we'll talk about a little bit how to do that because I'd love for you to be able to go home and use this at your you know, home universities and your personal classes if you are so interested. And of course, more than happy to give you the, uh, the information uh, as it goes. So step one is this idea of building your character. Again, if you've played a role-playing game, you've probably done this. You've got your character sheet. You've got the rule book. Maybe you're rolling some dice. Maybe you're doing a point by. Uh, maybe you've you've got a, um, a playbook if you're doing sort of a, a Blades in the Dark style game. Whatever it is, you've done something to generate this character. Maybe that character has been assigned to you, as is the case with a lot of you know one-shots or uh, set games that may you may have played in. But that there is a character now that exists and it's not just usually, hopefully, uh, I guess at some levels it could be just a random collection of statistics, but a character that you're encouraged to flesh out, to think about as a whole person or whatever they might be. What are the things that make them them? What, what do they look like? What do they feel like? What do they want? What are they going to do? How do they like approaching the world? What are their motivations? All of these things, along with the stats, give them a sense of reality. It gives something for the students to latch on to, and it gives something for us to use as pretty powerful, teachable moments along the way. So in that generation, I'll give you an example here. If you've not seen it before, this is pulled from Adventurers League. This is the Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition character sheet. There's a lot of stuff going on up there. Uh, important things along the top, things like what you are, your class and your level, who you are, where you come from, your background, your name, your uh, your race alignment, experience points, all these sorts of things, the, the, the things, the sort of base level of what makes you you. You know, if you're going to put an avatar of you out into the world, this is what it looks like, this is what it is. There's a lot of other stuff. There's skills. There's places for, on the right, uh, personality, flaws, strengths, bonds, ideals that in creating this character, 
it's not meant to just be sort of a, a, a paper target of just raw strength and ability, but that doing something with a whole creature, whole person. But the place I really want to draw your attention to, not to belabor the point, is on the left side. It's those key ability scores. We, we're all familiar with them. Those six original core ability scores of strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. Those things that, in the end of the day, that makes up what your character can do. You want, uh, you want clerics with high wisdom. You want wizards with high intelligence. You want fighters with high strength. You want rogues with high dexterity. What do you want if your person is an HR manager or your person is a leader? That, so the first place that we wanted to start here was by allowing our students to explore what feels core to whatever the topic was that we were discussing at that point. Because this, this stuff works really well if what you're doing is going on an adventure into a dungeon to slay a dragon, to topple a kingdom, to fight some evil, to do whatever you're going to do. It doesn't work so well if you're trying to solve a conflict at work necessarily. Uh, that the amount of weight you can pick up or how hard you can swing a sword or your ability to acrobatically jump from ledge to ledge probably isn't going to help you when you're hiring new candidates or you're involved in some sort of an HR process. Your ability to withstand blows and you know stomach poison in your constitution, depending on what kind of entrepreneurial space you're going into, maybe is useful, but probably not. So what is the, the first sort of question is, what are the key abilities for the thing that we're trying to do? What are the key abilities for how we need to perceive and proceed with these things? So we're going to use leadership as our running example, but do remember that this is not meant to be a leadership exercise. This is meant to be a modular exercise that you can take and really use to capitalize on whatever topic that you're interested in teaching. It works particularly well for those that are um, social sciences or socially oriented, but there's no reason that you can't use it to leverage into other disciplines or areas. So I want you to start thinking about this. We're getting into the audience participation portion. What are the ability scores? Probably not strength and dexterity and constitution, but what are the ability scores? If we had to think about it, what are the things by which we could rate or define as key inside leaders? What's the stuff that makes them up? What are the things that we can say, oh, they're higher or lower on this thing? They're better or worse at this. And again, it's probably not strength. So what are the pieces that go into this? Uh, we've done this in a variety of ways. We've used it differently across our classes, and I've used it differently within mine. Uh, we've done individual levels of generation where people can sort of name their own stuff based on – they can create their own ability scores uniquely for their character based on their knowledge of uh, of a concept like leadership. We've done a uh, – a sort of list-based system where we have people discuss it. We have them discuss it in small groups or as individuals and then share it with the class to come up with a master list of 20, 30, 40 sort of ideas. And then the, the one that I think is maybe the most interesting um, and that I have an example of for you here in a moment is this idea of, of sort of iteratively creating, refining, and defending the positions that you believe that you have around what makes up a leader. So you create a list of six for yourself, the things that, the six things that you are, think are most important, most key to a leader's ability. And then I put you in a group of four. Now you have to come up with a list of six out of that group of four. And chances are there's not going to be a whole ton of overlap, maybe one or two things that everybody can agree on. But beyond that, you're going to have to make a case for why you believe this thing is important, why you believe this is a core piece. And then 
we keep expanding it. Depending on the size of the class, we might do another level of, of small group discussion. But then we come together as a whole class, and we actually have to discuss and come up for our class what is our character sheet going to look like? What are those six things going to look like uh, for us? Uh, and how can we use them moving forward? So now it's your turn. Uh, we, we, we delightfully do have a, a chat function here in Twitch. So if you wouldn't mind, think through this process. Let's use leadership as an example, again, because that doesn't kind of pigeonhole us into any particular discipline that someone might not be familiar with. We've all had leaders in our lives or we've seen them in some place, maybe in a role-playing game. Spend a couple of minutes about thinking, spend a couple of minutes on thinking about what leaders look like to you. What are the key things? What are the important things? What are the, the crucial elements of leadership? What are those characteristics? And then post them in the chat. What are core things to the leader? I'm, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. I know we don't have a, too many people. I have, I have some working examples, um, but that I would love to just start getting some ideas because, frankly, I, I hear new stuff every single time I do this. What are some things that you think are you, you would replace maybe strength with instead of that? So thank you, Gift256, Empathy, Vision. These are those are fantastic examples. Build on that. Take a couple of minutes. I'm going to have a sip of water and shut up and let you brainstorm. To my fellow panelists, go to down two. Oh, is we do we have sound that back now? Headset died there for a moment. Apologies. Thank you. Okay, so back to what I was saying when no one else could hear me but myself and my cat. Um, that So we've come up with some great stuff. I think that you have some fantastic examples in there. Uh, and thank you for your patience with the, the dead headset. So that, I mean, things like empathy, vision casting, inspiration, listening, pattern recognition, organization, adaptability, emotional intelligence, stress management, decisiveness, all of the grit, which has just popped up in chat. All of these are really, really good tools. These are good ways to start to conceptualize a leader. So how do we start narrowing them down? How do we start thinking about which ones of uh, it's great brainstorming, but are some of these maybe more core than others? Uh, are, uh, clearly, there's some uh, agreement around things like listening and adaptability, and I absolutely agree with those as well. Um, but that which one of these, if we were going to be a class of, of 19 here on Twitch, which which ones of these would we select for our own use? Um, because it's difficult to edit a PowerPoint on the fly, I'm going to give you an example of a place that we can work off of. Uh, and that is here. This is a result that I actually pulled from an MBA class of 27 students. That was what they came up with. We, we, we went through the third version of this uh, generation exercise that I mentioned a moment ago, which was how do we – how do you feel about these things? Then you have to justify it to a small group and kind of come up with a group consensus. And then those small groups reported out to the entire class. And these are the things they came up with, not accounting for overlaps because some things like communication came up more than once. Um, so what here do you think is most – so to work off of this list, and I, I do recognize that it doesn't incorporate some of your fantastic suggestions, uh, but sort of the delightful aspect of this thing is that I've done this multiple times in multiple classes at multiple levels, and I have never once come up with a, an entirely consistent list. Which so some of you, uh, especially if you work in administration at all, might think, that sounds terrible. Why is there no consistency? Uh, but from my perspective, it is a real boon to the fact that this is able to adapt to the needs of those students. That it's not – and frankly, from my perspective in teaching leadership, that there are a lot of great leadership theories. But 
I feel like pedagogically and personally, we get a lot more benefit about us working to unlock the potential kind of leader that you want to be and desire to be, as opposed to the kind of leader that I tell you to be, even though if that's not really your, your thing. So we personalize this. We make this relevant to them as opposed to making them engage with something that they might not care about or might not connect with in the same way. So from this list, from this list, um, think about what which ones are are important to you. Think about which ones do you how would you narrow this down? Are some of them maybe a bit of an overlap? Can we do some negotiating about these sorts of things? Like, for example, does uh, adaptabil- uh, does adaptability overlap with anything else? Does honesty and trustworthiness do those both sort of mean the same thing to you? Can we encapsulate those into the same in the same space? Because, for example, throwing it back to the original sort of D and D six, dexterity means both your ability to shoot a bow and throw a knife and jump off a cliff, and Personally, I'm not good at any of those things, but I could see a situation in which you might be good at one of them, but it's still defined by this single core characteristic. So what are ways that we can bring these things together? How can we combine them into a collective understanding that we can then use for our classes? So give it some thought. You can post it in chat if you'd like to. I'm I'm never going to say no to more participation uh, from you or from my students. So always welcome. But not to put you in a position where we're, we're just waiting too long because I'm, I'm looking at the chat and I appreciate um, Nick and Ian uh, addressing some of the, the, the questions that are coming up. And we'll have some time here at the end, too, to talk more specifically about them if we have them. Uh, I'll show you what my class came up with, that this class of 27 professional students. So these are, uh, by and large, working MBAs. These are people who are – it's, it's a, a once-a-week night class that are taking this uh, program through my university – what they came up with after all the fighting and arguing, and I will say this class actually got really heated about it in terms of what they thought was meant to be on this list. There were some strong defenses going on. Those are the six they decided on. That if they were going to have six characteristics of a leader, six things that we can rate leaders on, they boiled it down to communication, innovation, knowledgeable, passion, integrity, and influence. Now, you may hear that and say, well, they left out some big stuff that we all loved adaptability, but that's that's not on there. We loved listening, but maybe communication subsumes listening in some way since it is sort of half the half the process. So, again, this is this may not be where our class of 17 now today might have been, but it was where my class was when we did this exercise. And we spent a considerable portion of our three hour class on this uh, because it really caused them to reflect on it. It caused them to engage with this stuff in a way that doesn't, again, reaching up higher into the Bloom's taxonomy stuff, um, that we are not in a space where we are just telling them what to think. We are not just telling them to understand the definitions that we provide. We are allowing them to create knowledge. We are allowing them to build bridges between these ideas rather than us telling them where the bridges are. And that alone allows for them to just much more meaningfully, much more experientially connect with some of this stuff. So what do we do with it? What do we do with it now that we have those things boiled down? Um, We can do a lot. Frankly – like I was just saying, we could stop there if we wanted to. We could say that this was the activity, and we have you have now thought through this process so thoroughly that you probably have a better understanding of your relationship to leadership, of what leaders might look like in your life or in your style. 
but we can also do a little bit more with it. And that's 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 what the rest of this is. Um, because yeah, we we now know what it feels like. It's customized. It's personalized to them in that class. We can use that uh, as I did with this assignment, with these six things, as a tool for self-analysis. And we can give them uh, personality assessments ranging from all over the place. We can ask them to do all sorts of different things. But I, I, I found that they tend to pay a little bit more attention when they're rating themselves on stuff that they actually have defined as important. That we love all our students. We love everybody, we, ideally at least. But we also have to recognize that not everybody is really good at some of this stuff. And so putting, position, excuse me, putting students in a position where they have to start to think about where their strengths lie versus where maybe some of their weaknesses do allows them to then think about that process through the rest of the course. And to say, you know, from that list that I feel like I am, you know, I'm pretty good at a lot of this stuff. I feel like I'm good at communication. I feel like I have a lot of passion for the work that I do, but that I have a hard time with influence. I have a hard time getting other people to listen to me. I have a hard time communicating with them. I have a hard time maybe leveraging in the D&D terms some of that charisma to get things done. So how can we then start to tailor the rest of that course? How can they start to think about the rest of the content in that course and the other things that we do as avenues to improve their charisma, to frankly level up, to overcome challenges, gain experience, and use that to make themselves that much better of a leader or whatever it happens to be? So beyond that, we can have them uh, use it to, to – uh, we're still a college business. We, we can't completely divorce ourselves from case studies all of the time or at least conversations around other characters and people in the world. So we can use this as a tool for other analysis. We can use this if we want to do a case study on uh, a major corporation, if we want to do a case study on a, uh, a president, if we want to do a case study on any sort of a leader in our world. We can use this as a tool of analysis. If we read a case and we say, why did the CEO react in this particular way? We can say, well, because they fall into this category and maybe they just didn't have a lot of passion for this. Maybe they were brought in to this organization as a product of a cost-cutting measure and that they were meant to kind of um, you know, chainsaw Al Dunlop style, cut through a lot of stuff, cut a lot of weight, shrink the organization, and maybe they've had more or less success. But it's certainly not as a product of their passion for the industry or for that organization or for that organization's product. So they can start to think about leaders in terms of those ratings. Where are their strengths and their weaknesses? And of course, it wouldn't be a, a D&D-esque lesson without the opportunity to go on an adventure, to do something with these characters, to embody them and experience them, and not just come up with what the character sheet looks like, but come up with what goes on it, and then what do we do with the people that we create as a result? So that's phase two. That's the second part of this. So Again, audience participation. Uh, you don't have to post it in chat if you don't want to, though I welcome any feedback and ideas, and I do appreciate those. But think about the kind of character that you'd like to create. If you, if I were asking you to create a leader, which I've, I've done in my classes, what would that person be like? Would they be a reflection of you? Would they be a reflection of some sort of an ideal? Would they be an intentional departure from who you are and an opportunity to uh, try on or to experience a perspective different than the one that you walk around with every day? These are the sorts of real creative elements. Hopefully, I'm here too. Five minutes before we go live. Did we lose something? I was getting audio. There we go. I think you're fine. Cool. Back to my monologue. 
So again, so who do you want to be when you, for those of you who have played a role-playing game before, whether it is, you know, Skyrim or it is Dungeons and Dragons or Blades in the Dark or Pathfinder or uh, Vampire or Traveler or whatever, whatever it is that you like to play, who do you make? Do you make someone different from you? Do you make, do you make the same sort of archetype across different genres and platforms and systems? Is there a kind of thing that you like maybe that is you or maybe different than you that you want to experience and embody? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll out myself. I tend to play a lot of clerics. I really like doing it. That's something I like to do. And I feel like in some ways it is a reflection of the way that I try to experience my own life. But I also like forcing myself out of that, that mold. And I've been told by my play group, I'm not allowed to play any more clerics. So what do you want to do with this space? How do you want to experience and play it? So we asked our students to create these characters. Uh, so they create a general concept for the character and then they assign values in a sort of a, a, uh, pseudo point by system to those six characteristics. We give them 36 points to play with. There's six characteristics. And so now they have choices to make. They can make a character that is excellent at some stuff at the expense of being weaker to others, because again, love everybody, but we can't be good at everything all of the time. Or they can create a character that is truly that jack of all trades that is pretty even across the board, doesn't have any big tools in their tool belt, but that is a able to at least moderately handle any challenge that comes their way. And then we tell them to flesh it out, to fill up all that stuff that's in the top of the D&D character sheet, like their name and their background and all that stuff that's on the right. Like what are their motivations? Who are their relationships with? What are their connections? What are their flaws? And we see a real um, exploration in that sort of stuff. And here's an example of that. This is actually an example pulled from one of Ian's uh, HR classes uh, because it is detailed and it's fantastic so this is this is uh someone who was asked to create a character that represented an ideal or a good hr manager and in that way the six the six characteristics six key abilities that they came up with were leadership communication trust organization uh knowledge uh, legal knowledge in particular and then ability to multitask or manage their time and they gave them stats on that for example, they gave them a lot of knowledge. They gave them a 9 out of 10 on knowledge. They're really – they know a lot of stuff. But on the other hand, they only have a 4 in time management, which could present an issue when faced with challenges. So they created this person. And then not only that did the you – know, gave them a name, gave them an age, described their demographics. Uh, and I can tell you that this person was not – a person named Reina, who is a 30-year-old female Filipina, that this is this was not who this is. But if you look over on the left side of the screen, that is a whole backstory about how this person is a uh, Filipino immigrant who came to the United States, who uh, went to UPenn for their degree, who graduated with a 3.5 GPA. So good, maybe not a 4.0, but still still pretty competent. Um, but even in that backstory, mentions struggling with balancing their work and their school because they were working while they were in school because that's an important element of their backstory. And then focusing on how their relationships combine with their friends and their family. And this is the product of the imagination, the, the imagination of this student, structured by the assignment that was given to them of to create this character, but that this page that they wrote, this life story, this history, this biography of this person, this fictional person, Reina, was created, was generated, and then they had the opportunity to experience this character's perspective. What was it like to be a sort of newer HR director who went to UPenn, who immigrated to the United States, 
What was it like to be this person? How do those things match their motivation? What does it mean to know a lot of stuff? What is it? Uh, I mean, if you've if you've played some of these role playing games, sometimes you do run into this situation where you think, "Man, my character is really smart. It's super high intelligence, but I'm not as smart as my character is. So what do I do? So how do I experience this person? How do I put myself into their perspective? How do I leverage this stuff in a way that makes it that much more interesting, that much more meaningful, that much more fun?" Some other examples from other courses, uh, we have Andre the Entrepreneur, whose six characteristics were confidence, financial literacy, creativity, drive, uh, acute selfishness, pretty uniquely entrepreneurial tactic, and optimistic. Um, they were 24, uh, black and Asian American male, that they were a college graduate, online following, and uh, and degree in business, wanted to make meals with the LGBTQ community who could for those who need it. That's not part of the assignment. That's that's rich backstory that this character is creating. Harriet, the HR manager, who's focused on confidence, oral communication, decisiveness, responsibility, empathy, and optimism, uh, that they had a backstory for the name that they gave the character. And then also that they, you know, made her 30 years old because that's the average age for first-time managers. Derek, the leader, who's focused on communication, engagement, passion, knowledge, honesty, and work ethic. A 34-year-old male African-American who's worked as a hospital administrator for the last 10 years, has a bachelor in healthcare administration that's not featured there, but specifically that they earned while they were working in the hospital and moved his way up from desk clerk into an administrative role. That informs this character. That is a rich person. That is a real person that these students can focus on and can experience and can explore and can think about. That, expo that expands their boundaries of understanding and perspective beyond what their own senses can provide them into having to think about what the world is going to look like for Derek that might be different from them. What are challenges he might face? What are things that he might do? What are strengths that he might leverage? What are areas he might want to improve? All of these cause them to take really intense, really intimate perspectives on students and that it's not just a matter of you know them coasting through thinking only of themselves as is all too often the case or at least stereotypically in college as a business but gives them a space to really explore this stuff and in a way that they connect with all right so we have our characters that maybe you've thought of something in your head now we we've, we've created our, our character sheets. We've created the character information that goes on them. Now, what are we going to do with that? We, as the educators, as the instructors, can play the role of dungeon master. We can start to create a space, uh, a, a structured world, semi-structured at least, that the students not only can react to, but react in and help to shape and to create and not just click an answer on sort of a choose your own adventure style, what do you do, yes or no kind of thing, but come up with their own answers. Come up with their own open-ended sandbox decisions about what they and their characters are going to do in a particular situation. So think about a character that you may have just created. Think about a leader in your life. Think about a leader that you know of in news or in fiction. Um, think about yourself. And think about this prompt. So this is an example of the sort of prompt that we might provide to students. To add that This is the, the proverbial the, or the sort of analog of sending them into a dungeon to fight a bunch of goblins. You are now in a position where Things are a little bit uh, – it's, it's not about how well you can swing a sword. It's about how well you can do some of the other stuff. So you've been a leader in your organization for some time now and worked with the same team for the last six months. Recently, your whole team was assigned to a new project to help design a product, that, and you want to get it in the market in the next year. 
With a deadline tight enough as it is, you've started to notice that some of your team's goals are taking longer than expected. One day, one of your team members, Gemma, offhandedly commented that she was frustrated that two of your other team members, Anthony and Taylor, seemed to always be arguing and not getting anything finished. You're not sure that Gemma, a newer employee, even realized that you heard her as she seemed to be musing to herself as she retrieved something from the office. However, both Anthony and Taylor are key members of the team for this project, and a disagreement between the two could certainly explain why things were slowing down. Taylor has been on the team for longer than you have, while Anthony was a new hire right around the time you joined the team, though they came in with a graduate degree and some solid experience from a different industry. What would you, as the leader, do? Twitch chat's probably not big enough for us to be able to contain the entirety of this thing. But think about what it is. Think about the expansive and real nature of it. It's not just, I see something that looks evil, I'm going to hit it with my sword. It's, there is a nuanced, political, interpersonal, communication-oriented, power distance-oriented, um, meaningful interaction that is happening here. What do you say? To whom? When? Uh, how, who do you focus on? Do you bring this information to Taylor and Anthony? Do you talk to Gemma and mentor a newer, newer employee? Do you focus more on Anthony or Taylor, given that they have sort of they both bring skills to the table, but they are doing it in different ways, one with seniority in the team and one with outside experience and education? Which do you value? How do you put your priorities? And then even beyond that, what do you use to justify it? Looking at your character, looking at their background and their story, why would they react in a why would they react in a particular way? Why might they not? Why would they create? Uh, why would they choose to talk to some people as opposed to others? This allows for students to not just reflect on the person that they've created, but reflect on that person's actual interaction with what can feel like a really honest and real and human situation. What do these people need? What are they looking for? What do you as the leader need to do in that situation? Because it's not always so simple. And rarely are two answers going to overlap. But it forces them – and frankly, there's not a right answer, which again, the administrators listening right now, I apologize. There's not a clean, clear right answer. But it's about their experience in creating and imagining and exploring this space and this person and how they're going to react to it. How are they going to talk to these people? How are, they, how are we going to make them feel like these people are real? How are they going to be able to practice here what I guarantee every one of those people is going – every one of my students, every one of you is going to experience at some point in your life, which is workplace disagreement and conflict? That there's no reason for us to send them out into the world just by saying, hey, conflict exists. Good luck. When we can give them the space to practice how they might react to it and how other people might react to it. And that's going to be a really valuable insight, a really valuable piece of the lesson. So ultimately, uh, just to bring it back to the actual activities that we used, we uh, – in the entrepreneurship class, we looked at uh, challenges, at quests, if you will, uh, around opportunity recognition, industry analysis, and funding, and marketing. Uh, in HR, we looked at racial and religious harassment and discrimination. We looked at recruitment. And we looked at job descriptions and how we position pay bans. And in the leadership class, we looked at leader development and growth, uh, followership and the connection that you have with your followers, and then diversity bias and stereotypes. So again, these are students able to practice, reflect on, and experience in this experiential learning capacity real things that they are really going to face in these careers rather than being in sort of a, a limbo 
of they know it exists, but they don't know what it feels like yet. They don't know what it looks like yet. And they haven't spent a lot of time specifically reacting and reflecting on it. Uh, so, but in, in all of that, they have to, you know, really think about those characters, explain how their character would react, uh, analyze how their character would use their characteristics and their backstories to do the thing that they want them to do, and really talk about their success, why some characters might succeed, why others might struggle. Some of the best feedback we get is putting a situation to someone and say, my character doesn't really have the skills to do the best job here, and recognizing the variety of needs and skills and interpersonal abilities that we have to bring to these tables in order to be successful in our lives, in our work, and in our world. Uh, and with that, I'm going to turn it over to Ian for a little bit of the sort of wrap up and some some of the uh, assessment that we're doing because we're trying to we're working on publishing some of this work and uh, justifying it externally as we talked about a little bit earlier in the uh, previous presentation. So, Ian, take it away. Thanks, John. So, um, yeah, one of the things obviously that the three of us are looking at as a team of researchers is can we get external validity? Can we argue that the concepts we're using in class are going to be generalizable to uh, perhaps a greater audience, or can we take this just uh, out of a business school, for example, and can we put this into a biology or a chemistry class? Can we kind of take this exercise for the ideal scientist, as somebody in the chat was kind of highlighting, could that be useful? So what we did was basically a, a, a three um, wave of uh, assessments. Initially, we're trying to get an idea of, certainly from the way I looked at from my class, of maybe initial bias or initial stereotypes. So we're asking our students what are their career aspirations, we're capturing basic demographics, capturing what their experience of learning is uh, within our various courses and establishments. And then we're asking them to, to give more of a free flow essay um, type short answer question. Um, what was it about the six traits or characteristics that resonated with you? Why did you choose those? Do you see those traits as being uh, embodying yourself or do they embody where you would like to take yourself? In the future and then we um, captured some initial thoughts on the exercise then in order to, to kind of validate um, what we're hoping to suggest when we um, seek to publish this we started to look for some actually established measures within academia uh, that looked at critical thinking because that's a big component of all the courses that we teach and a big component in um, any college of business and in other disciplines as well so we wanted to capture students initial uh, measures, if you like, of their ability to critically think. And then we focused in a little bit more on our subject-specific uh, areas. So for uh, Gabby, she was capturing entrepreneurial intent, and there are measures out there that examine that. Uh, for me, uh, I'm interested in a lot of my research focuses on behavioral ethics. Do we do the right thing or do we do things right in an organization? Uh, so I had students kind of highlight where ethics played a part in uh, this exercise. And then for John, he was um, interested particularly in how we identify as individuals, how we identify as having leadership traits, or how we identify with leaders that we may be aware of. So what's important to recognize is that this initial assessment is done very early on, uh, often within about uh, weeks two or three. So the students have uh, a very basic understanding of the course concepts. Then we move through. So the students have done about four or five weeks worth of uh, a standard semester. They've gone through one or two of the scenarios. Then we hit them with assessment two. They move through another three or four weeks and we hit them with assessment three. This is where we're capturing similar concepts, but now we're able to measure changes in either career aspirations or, or efficacy 
based upon their involvement and exposure to what we're talking about in each of our respective classes. And we're also at this stage because we capture kind of baseline um, knowledge about leadership, entrepreneurship, or human resources. We're now measuring knowledge acquisition or change in knowledge based upon our delivery of the content through this exercise. And also some of us in the courses we did allow the students the opportunity to change their characteristics and traits. Now that's not often something we get in a straightforward Dungeons and Dragons game, although we can level up uh, and gain added skills and maybe gain increases at various points during a, a, a campaign. Um, we don't often allow people to suddenly switch out and let's say, oh, well, d and is prescriptive, you have to have strength. But in the way that we approach this, we wanted students to recognize that maybe their initial biases or stereotypes um, were perhaps um, not realistic of the actual job or role uh, that an entrepreneur does or a HR manager does or a leader does. So as students move through our syllabi, we allowed them to manipulate their characters and say, well, actually, hang on, my initial view of optimism, that's not going to really help me in this workplace. Or my initial view of communication, yes, it's important, but I now feel it's more important to be influential, not necessarily just to communicate. Um, so we allowed the students at various points during the course to do that. And finally, what we captured was some form of feedback, an open-ended essay, um, where students underwent a period of self-reflection about what they thought about our courses in general, but also in particular what they thought about this exercise. And again, this is with a view to publishing and arguing that this exercise does have validity and generalizability. And as you can see in here um, from this slide across the three different courses, we had students saying this is one of the most rewarding, informative and enjoyable assignments they've done. They really liked it. It helped them understand the material they were learning in class and it challenged thinking skills. Uh, from Gabby's class, they thought it was an interesting project to help develop hypothetical entrepreneurial scenarios because for students who are 18, 19 and 20, many of them haven't been in the position of being an entrepreneur, but that's something they aspire to. So this exercise allowed them to explore that in a risk-free environment. And then finally, from John's class, we have comments that are playing the role of a character allowed them to access maybe a deeper or core side in them. Uh, and they looked at this as an aspirational exercise to identify where they wanted to be. Um, so hopefully we're moving on to demonstrate there are a lot of useful benefits and outcomes. Some of the things we're moving to consider, and it may be that you're asking yourselves these questions, um, what would be useful to know at the end of the semester as opposed to uh, 12 weeks beforehand or 15 weeks beforehand? What outcomes do you think we as academics should be exploring when we look at analyzing exercises such as this? Do you think this activity may be more effective in, in certain disciplines over other disciplines? Um, and does this exercise kind of, does the experience change from doing it as an individual or doing it in a team-based environment or should we amalgamate the two? So I, I think as academics and researchers, there's a lot of scope for us to move into different avenues. Finally, I, I mentioned in the chat, if people want to reach out, that would be great. Our contact details are here at our respective institutions. Um, we're creating a database, hopefully, of people who are interested in this. We would urge you all to uh, come on and look at the Association of Gaming Academics. John's created a Google form. We're hoping to pool our talent, pool our knowledge, pool our experience, and then uh, hopefully take this discussion and discourse further. I've just noticed that uh, uh, Dino Corgi said this presentation was hard to read. We have certainly no issues making this presentation available. If you want to reach out, if you log in 
um, either through uh, the Association of Gaming Academics, provide us your contact details, or reach out to Gabby, John or I, or all three of us, we can send you a copy of the presentation. Whatever works. So if anybody would like a copy of this, if they want to dig a little bit deeper, uh, and hopefully in a couple of months' time, there'll be some published documents uh, out there in some scholarly journals. Hand it back to John just to say thank you and cheerio for joining yeah. us all. Well, thank you and cheerio. We really do appreciate it. I think we've used the, the majority of the time, but if there are any last minute questions, please feel free to either post them in the chat or reach out to us. Our emails are there and we would love to hear from any of you. Uh, we um, There is a link to the Google form that is posted in chat if you'd like to continue this conversation and get some more information about the Association of Gaming Academics. Uh, our email is also on the screen. And we're really excited about this stuff. And I think that there's clearly, by the, their academic track existing here at Metatopia, there's a lot of us who are. Uh, and I think that building that family bigger and stronger and really uh, building bridges across this table and around this room so that we're all talking to each other is going to just be an increasingly valuable tool as we move forward. So thank you all for your time. Uh, Gabby, anything you'd like to finish with? Just thank you. Please keep in touch. We are trying to build this database so we can continue these conversations, not just at conferences, but meet up at conferences, keep them going all year long. So thank you for being here today. And uh, we were so happy that you joined us.